0: CC growth journeys from emerging ecosystems to global markets.
1: But about 10 years ago, we started noticing a change that everything is changing. The customer preferences are changing, and you know the future customers will not be the OEMs anymore. So the actual users will become the actual customers. So mobility, actually, I think, is bringing us more closer with the customer, with the user themselves. So you understand their motives into moving from A to B. And it's not about the destination anymore, but it's also about the journey.
0: Ahu is the president of Farplus, a company focused on car parts for more than half a century. Bullish on the disruption that's happening in the transportation industry, she founded the corporate venture capital fund, Plus Ventures, and the entrepreneurship program, Farclabs. Her investments in the space include ChargePoint, which announced its IPO after raising more than $650 million, and Valence, which raised more than $165 million to date. In this episode, we'll discuss the ins and outs of mobility and the huge disruption in the space that has been happening for more than a decade and will continue for decades to come. Hello, Ahu. How are you?
1: Very well, Ines. Thank you very much.
0: Well, thanks for being here. Are you in Istanbul right now?
1: Yes. For the time being, I'm in Istanbul. My last international trip was February 18th. (laughs) And then ever since I've been in Turkey.
0: Wow, February 18th. Yeah. Interesting. Are you planning to go somewhere?
1: Yes, yes. Actually, I'm planning to be in the U.S. for Christmas. Oh,
0: interesting. What for?
1: Well, a part of my family, my children are in the U.S. Some of them are there, some of them are here. So we are a divided family at the moment. And my middle daughter, she just won a scholarship to go to Taiwan and learn Chinese. And now the doors between U.S. and Taiwan is open. So I'm going to say her goodbye and spend Christmas with my family.
0: Cool. Good luck with all the traveling. Thank you. As a starter, where does the automotive industry stand today from an innovation perspective? And is there a big disruption coming along?
1: It already is at our door, I think, and now we're everybody is trying to cope with it, where they're standing and understanding where they are at this disruption. You know, big corporates have already established their territories and verticals uh, about a century ago, and they had the know-how to scale the business into mass production with the global presence. But now all is changing, so they have a lot of big capex expenditures, so it is very hard to transform from that structure. But now startups are coming, you know, they have the agility to test and fail, build products much faster. So I think automotive industry is also realizing the way people are moving is changing and they are trying to figure out where they stand in all that. And they want to be able to use their past experiences in a way that they can create value.
0: I guess the mobility space in itself is moving beyond the automotive industry and is becoming much larger than the automotive industry. To set the context for our audience, can you please briefly talk about Farplus and your corporate startup engagement efforts, namely the CVC, F+ Ventures and the entrepreneurship program Farclabs?
1: Sure. I mean, Park Glass and Park Holding in general is an industrial entity with a lot of industrial companies, mostly in the automotive and white goods sector. So we are providing parts for these industries and we've been in it for about 50 years, supplying international customers like Toyota, Renault, Fiat, Ford, Hyundai. They have been our customers and so far, actually, they've been very valuable in our progress. So this is, you can call it, I guess, this is our legacy business. But about 10 years ago, we started noticing a change that everything is changing. The customer preferences are changing and, you know, the future customers will not be the OEMs anymore. So the actual users will become the actual customers. So mobility actually, I think, is bringing us more closer with the customer, with the user themselves. So you understand their motives into moving from A to B. And it's not about the destination anymore, but it's also about the journey. So that's where we are. We are trying to figure out how we're going to fit all that. So trying to transform from a supplier into a new form of things. And uh, that's what we are doing with Park Labs. It's an innovation lab we designed. We say to design a better version of the future. And one of our verticals is mobility. The second one is life sciences and the other one is sustainable lifestyle. As we get into more verticals, we actually see that they are much more closely interrelated to each other rather than apart. So, and it's a lot of fun figuring out all the new things. And so within FAR+, we have a corporate venture company, F+, Plus, investing in smart transportation. Then we have incubators. We have uh, ventures that we built. We have an accelerator program. We are also an operator for the big program for TubiTuck, for the you know upcoming ideas. So a lot of the things all done in one place, and there the motto is future mobility together. So anybody who wants to get involved, also other companies, government institutions, you know everybody is welcome in it.
0: You guys are doing an ecosystem play basically end to end in the mobility space. For example, Duct is a micro mobility charging solution that started under the Far Labs umbrella. I mean, I guess you guys then invested for it to become a spin-off company by itself. What's your take on the micro mobility space in general? And do you think the new micro mobility solutions would continue to grab share from the conventional transportation methods?
1: Mm, For sure. Actually, you know, I think the secret to it is there is a book called Dual Transformation, and it really affected me. And it's showing all the problems and all the ways of how you can transform one company to another company or different companies. So the term reproductive company, and I think it's a more of a female term in that sense, so that one company gives birth to other companies. So that's what we are trying to become. And micromobility is actually... A production of that kind of a birth because we, we had a division called Creative Solutions for Urban Mobility also a newborn company. And within that company, we had a lot of very interesting people, you know, user experience designers, industrial designers. One is a, uh, was a purchasing manager in a big OEM, for example. These very interesting people come together and then they have the opportunity to create their own area of interest. So a group of them really started taking an interest in micromobility. And with them, we got interested And we started seeing micromobility as actually a competition to the current passenger car market because they are taking share from passenger cars for the shorter miles. So in that, we are very big. And when you extrapolate the expected growth rate of the micromobility market to the growth rate of Uber, for example, ride-sharing apps, it looks like it's going to double the rate in the given same number of given years. So it is a very fast-growing market, and that's why we gave birth to Duct. Duct is uh, infrastructure as a service for micromobility operations. From idea to to the exit, to the spinoff, let's say, it was born in 17 months. Now it's a standalone company. Uh, they got investment from Inno Energy in Europe. And what they do is they provide infrastructure services for micromobility operations. So it's docking, locking and charging. And it is vehicle agnostic. So, and they are now in Paris, in New York in Estonia and moving forward.
0: I think that's an amazing case study, by the way. I mean, for a large corporate like yourself to have a spin-off spinoff um, that's able to raise capital from uh, international sources in venture funding, it's amazing. One of your other investments is Commodif, which is a vehicle data platform that has applications for fleet managers, insurance providers, and others. Leveraging the data from OBD devices for various industries has grown over the past decade, and this is a very competitive space. What's Commodif's edge over the long run?
1: Well, Commodif is also a venture exercise born within the company, and then they were always assigned to be a connected car platform. So, and our aim, our claim there is that cars are going to become the new phones very soon with the electrification, autonomous driving and the way mobility is changing. And what they're trying to do is that to provide that connectivity service to the companies they work with. As an example, for example, they did a TCU for Fiat Turkey for their uh, specific data connection needs to their customers. So they work with insurance companies, with different companies who want to use their platform. They also bring out a lot of the mass, you know, mobility as a service ideas and help the customers implement those ideas. And, but so far, commodiv's expansion has always been in the automotive OEMs. Renault and Fiat are the main customers.
0: OBD devices and connected cars in general unlock a wide range of data that can be used in a number of industries. And vehicle manufacturers are going even a step further to gather data on the driver and passengers through sensors and computer vision. I feel like there's a data rush in the mobility world. Would you agree?
1: Yes, yes. And everybody's talking the OBD device, but I think it's not the actual key to unlock the hidden real-time connectivity data. So collecting the data is a problem, but to trying to figure out what to make with that data is the more valuable part of the puzzle, actually, if you can solve it. So connected to the car network, we call it CAN, for example, it's the actual brain of the vehicle's. And if you can manage that, I think that's where we're going to extract the real value out of the car. I think the cars before, it's like that, you know, when we say mind and body alignment, you know, in the human body. So I think the same is going to be reality for the cars. And in my opinion, the mind of the car is not as developed as it could be or as we would like it to be. But companies like Commodive, is helping that the brain of the car to develop so once it comes to full maturity that's where we're going to extract the value and we're going to see the benefits of it Uh, it takes some time so you need to be very patient the customers need to be patient as well so it's not a quick fix it requires a lot of investment too but i think more and more the car makers are realizing the value of it i mean look at tesla for example You can do a complete upload to a car. So maintenance means basically that you're renewing the software, you know, uploading and putting another version of software to your car. And it can be done from a distance and it's cheap and it's quite quick. So this is a very disruptive way of managing a car. And I think this is going to be the common case for all the car business in the future.
0: And we see a move towards modular design to be able to provide continuous updates both on software and hardware layer on vehicles. How does that impact the manufacturing process of a vehicle?
1: Well, it depends from which aspect, from whose perspective you're looking at it. So when you're looking at it from an established OEM perspective... That means a lot of competition is on the way because being modular, being able to handle things without having to do a lot of CapEx investments, this lowers barriers for new entrants. So when we look at it also from the fund perspective, we look at how many new EV players are entering the market each day. For example, there is this financial vehicle called Spock which means special purpose acquisition company. So when you look at the, all the SPACs that are trying to be registered, you can see that almost 30 new EV vehicle companies have created their SPACs. So that means 30 new EV entrants to the market with money. And so they have the potential to be the new OEMs and they don't have to do exactly what the others have been doing. So they are coming up with a lot of flexible multimodal systems. I am in the advisory board of a very interesting company called Move, for example. Move is also created from a bunch of digital nomads trying to build the future operating system and the electrical car. So newcomers are on the way. And for those players, I think it's a very exciting market. For the incumbents, I think they are very strong and they have all the capabilities. I think they have to be more agile in collaborating with others rather than trying to do everything by themselves.
0: You also invested in the electric charging station company, ChargePoint. I feel like the electric vehicle disruption already happened more than a decade ago, and now every manufacturer is trying to adapt as fast as possible. How did that electrification impact the players in the car manufacturing value chain?
1: Well, uh, yes. Well, we invested in ChargePoint and quite a while ago. And it was like, you know, buying the front seat tickets to an NBA game at that time. Because when you are invested in one of the biggest charging establishments in the world, then you can watch the electrification game from the front seat. And this has been the same for us. So when you see the charging game, for example, what Tesla has its own charging station game. So we can compare to Apple, for example, and what ChargePoint is doing It's Samsung. So it has the charging station is agnostic to all the... EV players. So um, the electric disruption has already, I think, happened. And ChargePoint took a huge risk and also tapped into the opportunity, you know, thanks to being one of the early pioneers of the EV industry. So now I think electrical vehicles are becoming mainstream, and ChargePoint is more and more becoming a utility company and providing the charging needs. It has been a very crucial point in our learning. And it has been a good investment for us as well.
0: I love your analogy between cars and mobile phones, because laptops opened a huge hardware market. Then came mobile phones, which were almost the same price, yet reached multiple times more people. And when you consider vehicles and cars from that perspective, we're talking about the same number of devices as mobile phones, yet at least maybe 20x the price. I think this is going to be a bigger disruption than both laptops and mobile phones combined.
1: Yes, Yes, I believe so. And I think as the journey is becoming more important, you know, we spend a lot of time in our cars and when we specialize more on the type of journey that the customer is doing, you know, there are short mile journeys, then there are longer ones. There are the same route ones before, you know, nobody has distinguished among them. So when you start taking a closer look to all these and the brain of the car is developed as a phone, you can do so many things with that. When you understand what the rider you know, or the passenger is doing or what they exactly want at that moment of time, you can give them so much. Let's say you're in the car, you only have 30 minutes and then the car knows you so well that in 30 minutes it offers you maybe you can watch a 15 minute TEDx talk. You know, it contains so many elements. So it's connectivity, entertainment, not only going from A to B or doing business in itself or when you're close to your favorite coffee station, for example. Uh, It will remind you to get your coffee as well. So, so many things you can do in a car once it's smart enough.
0: Yeah, and vehicle-to-everything technologies are also on the rise as vehicles try to detect everything surrounding them. We also have a portfolio company, maybe you know them, Firefly. Yes. They mount smart screens on top of vehicles for targeted and context-aware advertising while also enabling smart city solutions. And you also invested in Valence, a semiconductor company that focuses on in-vehicle connectivity. Were there any direct synergies with Farplus from the get-go between Valence and Farplus?
1: Well, in terms of, let's say, Valence is more of the game of the future. It was built as a legacy company for the wiring system of the car. But in time, like they also understand that they have to go somewhere else to be more than just wiring. So they came up with this new proprietary technology to increase the speed of in-vehicle communication infrastructure. That means they have a wiring technology now that increases the speed of the communication more than five times within the car. And the installation of the system is very much easier to suit the needs of the new EV manufacturers. So that means when we have fast enough wireless within the car and the car becomes smart. So Valence is actually in a way a company that helps our cars get smarter and have more bandwidth. So that's why we, we are very hopeful for what Valence is going to do. You know, well Val- enables the convergence of video, data, connectivity and uh, telecommunication over the speaker cable and with high speed connectivity. So those are all the areas, you know, you think... We believe we don't just think uh, we believe that they establish the future of the car industry. And some of them will take more time. Some of them will become more immediate happenings. So I think the real game is that you place your cards in a way that, you know, you have some earlier gains, but you also have some future invested activities as well so that you see far and you see close and you can combine everything with your current activities.
0: Yeah. Moonshot bets are definitely important. I want to move a bit towards autonomy and talk about autonomous vehicles. It seems like technology pivoted away from replacing the driver and rather tries to work with it. I mean, driver assistant technologies are on the rise and full autonomy still seems to be years away. Where do you think full autonomy will happen first? Like lower risk alternatives like autonomous delivery seems to be heavily invested in over the past few years, for example.
1: Actually, we do have full autonomy today within controlled environments. So I don't think it's so much a question of technology, you know, in universities, campuses, in big factories. I know a few towns in Switzerland, for example, they have these transportation, autonomous transportation shuttles. So it's already here, but whether it's going to become mainstream, that's going to take a while. But I definitely think, for example, the logistics sector, Mm trucks with fixed routes, campus buses. And I mean, those are the ones that are going to see autonomous driving much earlier. So I don't expect to see level five cars in the driving, you know, in the streets, three to five years. Although we did do a trial in CES last year with with Ativa and BMW, we did have an autonomous uh, drive, but we were expecting, you know, that we we were going to be all on our own. But the car comes with an extra driver that sits and records the trip. So just in case something happens. So that was a bit disappointing.
0: (laughs) And which are your favorite autonomous vehicle startups? There's a number of them, I guess.
1: Oh, favorite is very hard word to put because they kind of form an ecosystem. You know, let me just talk about the ones I know. Maybe it's better rather than saying my favorite. Mm -hmm, Sure. The shuttle startups, for example, Easy Mile, Now we have Local Motors, Optimus Ride. These are doing all the shuttle startups. Then we have the Google's Waymo and Chrysler's Cruise, for example. For the autonomous mile-driven track record, they're very, very necessary. Then we have the EV platforms, which I'm very excited about because the more platform builders we have, that means we're going to have more EV builders as well. So if you have these platform availability, then a lot of people are going to try to build their own cars. So I'm very excited about them. And, uh, you know, when you look at the platform, for example, Canoo is a good platform, but I also like the Israeli Re-, Re, and there are many others. And every time I see one, you know, I try to buy a platform. I think the best way of seeing whether the platform maker is ready to deliver or not is trying to buy one. <laughs> and then if they cannot deliver, that means they're not there yet. Yeah,
0: yeah. this is a trillion dollar industry. So I think there's going to be probably maybe 50 different unicorns come out of this space over the next 10 years. I mean, I would take a bet on that for sure. Um, you said you're bullish on logistics, like trucks, for example, for autonomy. When I look into players in logistics and supply chain, the tech-enabled players, they seem to cooperate with the existing value chain rather than replacing them or disintermediating them. And I see these a number of tech-enabled players that only differentiate on their use of technology rather than disrupting existing players. What's your take on this?
1: Well, because, you know, you try to get along with the crowd until they kind of accept you. Otherwise, these industries are very hard to get in. It's very hard to to do what Elon Musk did with Tesla. It's like, you know, David and Goliath game. Mm-hmm. And not all of them are equipped to play that game. It's not an easy game. So maybe everybody starts with trying to convenience the incumbents and get them aboard. And most of them maybe fail because of it. But trying to run against the current completely is also, it requires a lot of resources. What Uber did, for example, and what they're fighting with around the world. It requires enormous amounts of resources. So I don't blame them for trying to do that. But I see that there are so many opportunity. I mean, because if you want to spot an opportunity, you have to concentrate on the problem. And there are so many problems in the logistics sectors. And the way the other parts of the technology is developed, now the logistics sector is much far beyond of those development. And there is there needs to be a big catch up. So I hope there will be disruptors, but disrupting a very established, long-lasting, strong sector is not so easy.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. As a closure, there's also a hype on flying cars. Do you think we'll be able to see flying cars for personal use in the 21st century?
1: Well, yes, I think so. The aviation industry has uh, very strict regulations, you know, long product to market times and everything. But but all these technologies developing right now, so we have Volocopter, Lilium, Uber, Hyundai, everybody's interested in those things. So big corporates are interested, which is a good thing. And Morgan Stanley, for example, thinks autonomous aircraft market could be worth $1.5 trillion by 2040. So maybe for shorter distances there will be uh, much quicker solutions, uh, but for longer distances that won't be so quickly. But I see more things happening also in the boxing area. You know, sometimes we talk about all these big technologies, you know, and they seem that we cannot reach them. And but sometimes the real change occurred in smallest details. For example, why I am bringing about this idea of box, for example. It comes down to a box, eventually, every vehicle, you know, especially when you have the platform's. You just put a box in it, and then you change the purpose of the box, and that gives you a car. So, or when you look at, for example, we work now with a healthcare company also to specialize on the cold chain boxes, or we work with Domino's Pizza, for example, for their last mile delivery boxes, and we actually made a box company, and that's the first time I'm explaining this. It's called MobiQ. It's going to be a new startup, MobiQ, and
0: MobiCube. Interesting, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, it's mobile kutu, mobile box.
0: Mobile kutu, okay. Makes
1: sense. All their business is box. That's it. Box for the coaching, chain, box for the mobility, box for last mile. So sometimes maybe it's good to reverse things and not start with the, you know, high technologies and a lot of monies, but with the smallest details. And so in Park Labs, actually, we're trying to do both sides of the pendulum and trying to bring everything together and make sense out of it. And it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, I think boxes are like the lowest common denominator of the whole mobility industry. So it makes perfect sense. I love the fact that you're an inherent optimist, especially about flying cars. I mean, I hope it's going to at least become an industry by 2040. I don't expect it to become a trillion dollar industry, but even if I try it once by 2040, I mean, I would be impressed by technology itself.
1: Well, I'm an avid sci-fi reader, Mm -hmm. you know, and all the movies and everything we see, and those movies even come from 20, or physicists, for example, and the futurists. Whatever we read in the 1980s, look at Michiko Kaku's uh, books and stuff. What has not happened that he wrote in that book? So everything that we're talking about is eventually going to happen, it's only a question of time and how we're going to take it. So, yes, I like being optimist. It gives you a lot to discover. <laughs> well,
0: Ahu, thanks for joining the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, this Thank you.
0: This episode was very insightful to learn about how existing players in the automotive space are placing their bets on innovation to adapt and survive the large disruption that has been coming in waves for over a decade now. I'll continue to host guests to discuss disruptions happening in different industries. If you want to suggest guests or topics, feel free to reach out directly via email. Bye. To stay in the loop, go to our website, getcc.com, or follow us at getcc on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.